The following audio is from South Fellowship. For more information, visit us on the web at southfellowship.org. Looking at in Ephesians chapter 4, um, I was brought back to my time as, as an athlete in high school. And I was a, a pitcher, a, a baseball player and a pitcher. And that meant that as I got older and older um, and, and sort of progressed in pitching, um, there was more and more distance between me and all of our position players, which meant um, that when I wasn't pitching, I was holding down the bench. <clears throat> And I did a pretty good job at both. So, um, but here's what I noticed about myself. Um, if I was pitching on game day, my mind was engaged from the time I got up in the morning. And so I would be sitting in class, and the only thing I was thinking about was the game that was coming up after school. And, and I'd get to the field early and I'd stretch, and I'd throw, and I would get sort of my last little workout in before the game started, and, and, and during the game, I was, I was dialed in. I mean, I, I was cheering on teammates if they made a good play. I was encouraging them if they made an error, <clears throat> and I was just, I was, I was dialed in. And here's what I noticed. Games where I was dialed in, or games where I was playing, I was dialed in. And then games where I wasn't playing, I wasn't as dialed in. I mean, I would get to the field at about normal time. I'd stretch, but with no anticipation of actually getting in the game. I'd help warm up our other players. But I knew in the back of my head, I don't need to take this all that seriously because I don't think I'll see the field today. And even as the game went on, I was a little bit checked out. I can remember one game where we were hungry and we found a big bag of Skittles in one of our teammates' bags and ate the entire bag of it. And when he got back to the dugout, he freaked out. And we thought, whoa, 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 settle down, man. It's just Skittles. And he says, I'm diabetic. I have those in my bag in case my blood sugar gets low. And we're like, oh, okay, sorry. You know, we're... Anyway, I was definitely not as dialed in if I wasn't playing. And as I thought about that, I started to wonder to myself, how many of us see Christianity as a spectator sport? Like, I mean, I mean, so our sort of version or our thought of Christianity is two hours on a Sunday morning. And we, and we sort of watch. And we, we watch it happen, and, and then after we leave these doors, there's, you know, some, some thoughts that we have, some convictions that we have, but we have no idea that we're actually being invited to not be observers, but to be players. And you see, here's what I know about me, and here's what I know about you, is that if our mindset is that we're in the game, we treat things a lot differently, there's a lot more intentionality about the way that we go about living. There's a lot more passion about the way that we go about living. If our expectation is we're in the game, we're being invited to play a part, we go about life differently than we do if we just think we're observing and we're along for the ride. And I think for too long, I saw Christianity as something that I sort of watched happen and what God is going to teach us through this passage is that 
Christianity is not a spectator sport. That you are, you are not called to watch it happen. God is way better to you than that. Because he's saying to you, and he's saying to me, I want you to be a part. I want you to be a part of it. Not just watch it happen, but you get to play. You get to play. And I want to show you through the scriptures what that looks like this morning. Would you open to Ephesians chapter 4, and we're going to be starting in verse 7. Let me, um, if you're new with us this morning, welcome. Let me sort of briefly catch you up on the content of where we've been over the last sort of two weeks. You'll read in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1, that we're encouraged to live a life worthy or, or fitting of the calling that we've received, which is the fact that we've been redeemed, we've been adopted, we've been forgiven, we've been saved, we've been invited to make much of Jesus. And so Paul, in this bridge verse to the whole rest of the book of Ephesians, says, now, church, live it out. Live it out. Let the gospel press on your life in such a way that it really actually changes you from the inside out. And last week we talked about the fact that the gospel gives us everything we need to live life together in community. That it frees us from needing to be best or needing to be first. It frees us from competition with each other. So I can actually, because Jesus has redeemed and saved me, I can root for you. That's great news. That's great news. And now Paul's going to continue that thought of unity in the body and what that looks like, and what that means, and how each one of us plays a part. We said last week that unity, our unity as a body, does not mean uniformity. Praise be to God. It, means that we're, it doesn't mean that we're all the same. In fact, I think for us to be the church that God designed us to be, we can't all be the same. We need to be different. And God, in his sovereign provision and sovereign grace, has brought you, yes, you, to this place to play a unique role in his kingdom and his church moving forward. Let me show you how the scriptures teach this, starting in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 7. But grace was given to each one of us. How many? Each one. Okay, great. Each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Now, we're going to be sort of drawing out some, some themes and some principles from this passage. But I just want to stop right away and say that God has generously and uniquely gifted every single person in this church. If you're a follower of Jesus, the Bible teaches, and we're going to look at a few passages in just a moment, that you have been uniquely and generously, I love, I love that piece of God, that he's not just sort of giving you enough to get by. He's giving you enough to play a part, a unique part, a part that we don't just want, a part that we need. Have you ever shown up to a party uh, without a present? Have you ever been that guy that walks in and everybody else, you see the big presence on the table and you go oh man and maybe it's just me we have we have a few friends that um they are gift givers this is their love language um if it's yours praise be to god we should be friends but um 
They're, they're gift givers, and they love to give gifts. And I can remember, I should have known this about them. I, did, I knew this about them in my head, but um, we got together to celebrate Christmas a few weeks before Christmas a few years ago, and they got us this big, elaborate gift, and we got them nothing. Talk about an awkward exchange. <laughs> hey, thank you, I think. <laughs> I wonder how many of us think that the way we come in these doors, we come in empty-handed. And here's what the scriptures actually teach, is that each one of you carries a gift. You carry a gift that you get to give to this body, to this people, at this time. Nobody who's a follower of Jesus walks through these doors empty-handed ever. The, the question is simply whether or not you're willing to use that gift. Whether you're, whether you're willing to sort of get off the sidelines and, and get into the game, or if you're just comfortable having that gift wrapped up and sitting in your lap every Sunday. You've been gifted. Here's the way that scriptures define a, a spiritual gift. It's a God-given ability to serve God and other followers of Jesus in such a way that Christ is exalted, that he's lift up, lifted up, that he's pointed to, and the other people around you are built up. Christ is exalted, and other people are built up. Here's the way that um, the book of 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10 says it. As each has received a gift, Use it to serve one another. As each one has received a gift, as you have received a gift, if you're a follower of Jesus, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. See, I love this because the scriptures make zero provision or qualifications for who's gifted. It doesn't say anything about your age. It doesn't say, hey, at a, at a certain age, then you lose your gifting. So, so here's the deal. If you're not dead, you're not done. Okay? If you are alive and your heart is beating and you're a follower of Jesus, then you, have, you still have a gift that you have been given, and God wants to use you here uniquely at South Fellowship Church to build up his body and to allow you to point to Jesus and to walk in the joy that he has for you. Please, please, please don't check out of the game. Please don't check out. If you're, hey, if you're young and you're a follower of Jesus, you've been gifted. We need you. You aren't the church of tomorrow. You are not the church of tomorrow. You are the church of today, right now makes no provision for age. It makes no provision for gender. It doesn't say, hey, some, some males are going to get these gifts and females are going to get these gifts. It doesn't do that. It makes no provision for socioeconomic status or anything you want to fill in that blank. See, the scriptures are very clear that you have been gifted and that therefore you have value. Not only value intrinsically being a creation of the almighty God, but you have practical value. We need you here. 
need you here to use your gifts to serve and to point to Jesus. Look at the way that Paul continues. He, he says, but grace, each one, or, but grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, and he's going to quote from Psalm 68. He says, when he ascended on high and led a host of captives. Some debate about that, whether those are, are fallen angels or whether that's believers, but um, neither here nor there. We're going to focus on what the actual point is that Paul's making, and we'll talk about it in just a second. And he gave gifts to men. He gave gifts to people. And then he's going to try to explain a little bit, which is a little bit comical. <clears throat> in saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he also descended into the lower regions of the earth? Now, Paul is simply talking here about Christ's incarnation, about his coming, that he descended, that he was in heaven and that he clothed himself with skin and that he came to live among us. There's a little holiday coming up in a little while where we celebrate that. It's Christmas, okay? That he descended and that, here he continues, he who descended is the one who also ascended far above all things, that he might, far above the heavens, that he might fill all things. Here's his point. It's pretty simple. Jesus came. Jesus conquered. And Jesus ascended. And he paints this picture for us. Like a, like a king coming back. It's a picture that Paul's original readers would have understood well. Like a king coming back from a war where he's been victorious and he has his caravan full of the spoils that they're bringing with them and the king would come through town and the town members would gather around and they would get part of the spoils. And he says that's what Jesus has done. He's come, he's conquered, he's been victorious and we are the benefits of that beneficiaries of that, that he might fill all things. So the reason that you're gifted, the reason that you're called, the reason that you get to play a part, why? So that he might fill all things, so that the body would be built up and that we would point to Jesus and that people would meet him. Here's a I'm going to call this our, one of our key insights because I've been asked so many times, well, I just don't know what my gift is. I don't know how to, how to figure out my gift. In fact, I don't think I'm even a gifted person. Well, well, here's the deal. You are, number one. And this is sort of briefly how I would describe how you figure out where your gifting is at. Your gifting is at the intersection of where you find joy in serving and where the body of Christ is built up. Where you enjoy serving. See, God didn't design you to live a life that you hate. Isn't that awesome? So, so he gave you gifts that when you would use them, you would feel yourself sort of come to life, that you would get excited, that you'd get passionate. So he didn't give us gifts that when we use them, we go, oh, man got to exercise my gift again. Not at all. Not at all. He gave us gifts so that when we use them, we go, this is what it means to be alive. 
This is what it means to be alive. You may, you may love administration. Bless you. You may love uh, evangelism. You may love leading. You may love a lot of things. But God has given you a specific gift to use to build up his body. And when you use it, you get to walk in the fullness of joy that he designed you for. And he's going to talk specifically about a few different gifts that the body has been given. Verse 11, and he gave the apostles, and so I'm going to explain each one of these as we walk through it. The gift of apostleship, and, and that was a, a, a role back in the early New Testament days that many believe the role doesn't exist anymore, but the gift still does. That The role sort of left as the last apostle, John, uh, passed away, but that now we still have this gift and we still have this need, and the gift of apostleship is the gift to see on the horizon ministry opportunities. These are the pioneers. We need these people. These are the people whom, if you love this church exactly the way that it is, you hate them. Because they will change it. Because they see an opportunity on the horizon. They see a hill that can be taken. They see ways that people can meet Jesus. And they're going, we can do this, and we can do that, and we can move forward, and we can take ground. We need people with the gift of apostleship so that the kingdom of God continues to progress and continues to move forward. I mean, this was the apostle Paul to a T. I mean, planted 14 churches three, that we know of, three missionary journeys. I mean, he was a guy that if you enjoyed status quo would have driven you nuts because he's always going, we can do more, come on. We can do more. Apostles and prophets. Prophets are those who foretell, who God speaks to, and they foretell things that, that will happen, and we are ruthless about pointing back to Scripture. So prophets foretell, but they also foretell. There are people who say, this is what I think God is saying uniquely to this body at this time that we would follow him in this. I think this passage is one that sort of jumps out and God is speaking to us as a body through this passage. The evangelists, these are people who, as they're walking onto an airplane, are going, game on. Whoever I'm sitting next to is hearing about Jesus. You know, they sit down and they say, you want to do this the easy way or the hard way, <laughs> right? These are people, and, and if you're here now, if you're an evangelist and we need evangelists, you're going, I wonder how a non-Christian would be thinking about this message. I wonder how we can use that amazing coffee shop more and more to point to Jesus. I wonder how we can make an impact on this neighborhood that's just east of us. All of us are called to evangelism. Many here are gifted in it. Shepherds, these are the people who guard, who lead, who feed, who guide. These are people who care about your soul. Who, when you sit down with them, they're dialed in, they're feeding you. This is uh, Dan Elliott, is the quintessential shepherd. I mean, that you, he just loves you, and you know it. Shepherds and teachers, these are people who exposit the word, not only 
on a stage, but also over a cup of coffee. Don't think that just because you don't teach in front of people that you are not a teacher because you teach with your life far more than you know. And some of you are very, very gifted teachers. It says, to equip the saints. Now, just a quick time out. Because he's going to now, the Apostle Paul is going to unpack for us why God has uniquely gifted some people in these unique areas. So why has he done it? Why did he give some prophets, apostles, teachers, pastors, shepherds? Why? To equip the saints for the work of ministry. For building up the body of Christ. That's interesting, because I think something's happened in our sort of church culture, not just, not here, but just in general, that we sort of view the pastors, the apostles, the teachers, the staff, church staff, as the ones who are in the game. But everybody else is sort of just an observer, and what this passage teaches is that no, 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 no. We're not the ones that are in the game. We're the ones who are getting ready, get, helping to get you ready, helping to equip you, helping to teach you, helping to give you confidence, helping to give you tools that when you step out those doors, you can be confidently in the game. That's our role. Not that we do all the ministry, but that we point you to a God who says, I have uniquely gifted you and I have uniquely called you and I want you in the game. In the game. So, here's the deal. The truth I want to bring out for us is that every follower of Jesus is called to be in ministry with Jesus. And from about Monday through Wednesday, I had in my outline, every follower of Jesus is called to be in ministry for Jesus. And that didn't sit with me well. Because Jesus doesn't just go, hey, good luck, buddy. Go do and report back. He says, this is something that we are in together. And so I want to say something to you that may sound a little bit weird, but welcome to this staff of South Fellowship Church. Welcome to the staff. That this is something that we are in together and that God has uniquely wired you to play a part that I can't play. That, that Dan can't play. That the rest of our staff can't play. Staff, you're part of this. And we are so glad you are. And as the gospel presses more and more on your life, our conviction is that you're going to step out more and more into saying, God, I want to be used for your glory. I want to live as a sent person, not just on Sunday for a few hours, but that Monday may be more exciting than any other day of the week because you get to go, I get to live out what I learned and the way that God's turning in me, and I get to share it with whomever God might bring into my path. I love the way that the Apostle Paul writes about this in the book of 2 Corinthians where he says, for the love of Christ controls us, compels us. Literally in the Greek, it's this idea of I'm tied up by his love. Like it, like it just has me captive. I've got to do something with it. 
Because we have concluded this, that one died for all and that therefore all died. And if you know anything about this passage, he goes into this great exposition about being an ambassador for Christ. Has his, has his love controlled you? Does it, does it tie you up? Does it push you not in just into the doors here on Sunday, but does it allow you to walk into work differently? See, because Jesus was really clear. He said to them again, Peace be with you in John chapter 20, verses 21 and 22. As the Father has sent me, even so I'm sending you. You. Well, where is he, where is he sending you to? Well, well, where are you going tomorrow? That's where he's sending you. You going to work? Being sent to work. You work at home? He has something for you at home. The businessman, he's, he's got something for you there. And he's made provision. Look at the way it says it. And when he said this, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. See, I think part of the reason that we stand as observers rather than participants is that we doubt the power that actually lives in us. See, he's gifted you and he indwells you. And how sad if both of those things are true, and they are, and they are, that we would spend time sitting on the sidelines. You know, it's not just the apostles, it's not just the teachers, it's not just the pastors that are needed. It's everybody. I, um, I read about this strike that happened in New York City. It was um, 1968, and, and a few weeks earlier, Broadway went on strike. Sort of funny. And, and really, nobody noticed. I'm not saying I had tickets. <laughs> Broadway went on strike, and nobody noticed. But a few weeks later, the whole sanitation department of New York City went on strike. People noticed. People noticed. I mean, look at this. I mean, look at the way that trash just built up in the streets. And everybody noticed. And so the job that everybody thought was sort of the pinnacle was on top. They went on strike. Nobody noticed. But the garbage men went on strike. And everybody noticed. See, God has uniquely gifted you. He's uniquely called you. And you can sit there and think, listen, I, my gift doesn't matter. Every gift matters. And it's not just a benefit to us. It's a need that we have. Can I just say, one of the things I love about South is that you get this. You get this. I mean, that's why in our, in our um, celebration tonight, we hope to have well over 100 people. I mean, I'd love to see as many people as are here this morning here tonight because it's reflective of the way that you live at South. The 80-20 rule where, or 20-80, where 20% of the people do 80% of the work doesn't apply here, praise be to God. And I hope it never does. Thank you for the part that you play. Here's the deal, though. If you decide to sit on the sideline rather than get in the game, you rob yourself of joy and you rob the body of growth. Let me show you the way that this takes place. Actually, here we go. Let me just draw out a principle for us, and then we'll jump into this passage. Fullness of life comes 
And that's Jesus' invitation to all of us. It's fullness of life, to be fully alive. And it comes when you use your gifting and when you live in community with other people who do the same. Live in community with other people who do the same. Chapter 4, verses 12 and 13 read like this. That, that these gifts were given to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of faith and knowledge of the Son of God. See, he's going to talk about a few things that happen as you get off the sidelines and into the game. And the first thing he says is that there's this unity that comes as you use your gifts, as you serve, that not only is the body of Christ built up, but that you get to walk in close relationships with other people. And I'm going to phrase it for us like this this morning, that as you link arms with other people, you link hearts with them too. As you link arms with people, you link hearts with them. And so if you feel disconnected at South, can I encourage you to say that maybe, just maybe, you're sitting on the sidelines and he's inviting you into the game. That's why we've built into sort of the DNA of our life groups to say that at least once a semester, we want our groups to serve together. Why? Because something happens in a group when they get out and they serve together. Your hearts start to connect. It's no, I don't think it's any coincidence that I've met some of my best friends in ministry, that I met my wife in ministry. You get to see pieces of people's hearts when you serve together that you don't get to see on a Sunday morning. And see, as you share a mission <laughs> See, if you're pulling together with other believers to say, we want to make much of Jesus, we want the body to be built up, we want him to be more famous, we want a light to shine on Jesus, if that's your goal and you serve together, it's a lot harder to get in arguments about what color the carpet is, isn't it? Right? I mean, if we're saying Jesus is our goal, we want to point people to him, we want to push people to him, and we're all working together for that, the peripheral things start to be they start to fade into the background a little bit because the main thing is the main thing. And the main thing is Jesus. And when you share that mission with somebody and you link arms for that mission, God has a unique way of linking your hearts together also. I love the way Diedrich Bonhoeffer wrote in his book, Life Together. He said, it's really hard to hate somebody I pray for. And I think the same thing is true of serving, that it's really hard to dislike somebody that you link arms and serve with, that you have a mutual goal of making Jesus famous. He goes on. He goes on to write, to mature manhood or personhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness, and by deceitful schemes. That something happens to our maturity level as we use our gifting, as we step into the game, as we step off the sidelines and onto the field. But I think a lot of us think of it as the opposite way around. That we work and we 
sit in classrooms and we obtain knowledge and then we graduate to serving. But what the scriptures are going to teach is actually something very contrary to that, that as you serve, you mature. You don't mature in order to serve. Then no matter where you're at in your spiritual journey, if you're a follower of Jesus, if your desire is to lift him high, if you have faith in him, he has a role for you to play, and he will use that role to grow you more into the image of Jesus. But so many of us die on the vine because we think we have to achieve some pinnacle of knowledge or of maturity, and then we'll get in the game. Well, the problem is that for many of us, that point never comes. What he's saying is that it's going to come as you serve, as you lay down your life, and as you play the part that God has you to play uniquely in the body of Christ. The Dead Sea is a really interesting geographic location. You've probably heard this before, but the Dead Sea is dead for one reason. (laughs) That there's water that runs into the Dead Sea, but there's no outlet. There's an inlet, but there's no outlet. And, And the Dead Sea is dead because there's no way for anything to get out of it. Things just come into it. And I wonder, how many followers of Jesus are living their life like the Dead Sea? Where we just have this buffet table of more and more information, and God's going, I want to grow you, I want to use you, but could you get moving a little bit? Do something. Use the knowledge that you've been given. Use the knowledge that you've obtained. Step into the game and see the way that he might bring maturity as you serve him. He goes on. Rather, so instead of the doctrinal air, the immaturity leads us to be susceptible to, rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. So, as we serve and as we link arms with other people and as we walk in our gifting for our joy and Jesus' glory, we open ourselves up to both giving and receiving truth that transforms and sometimes hurts really bad. And sometimes hurts. Are you a person that can... See, there's two pieces of this. One, to be a person that can receive truth from other people. I love the way that the book of Proverbs puts it. In Proverbs 27, verse 6, it says, Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. Are you you the type of person that can receive input from other people into your life? And are you the type of person that can give it? This is a challenge in a different way, isn't it? Because it requires that we love that person more than we love their perception of us. Am Am I willing to lay down my life for this person because they may not like me? After I say this, to be a church, to be a people that speaks the truth in love. Just to, if, if you're going to be that type of person, let me just give a few tips. One, come in humility, please. Come in humility. 
Make sure the things that you're addressing aren't just matters of opinion, things that you like and things that you don't like, but make sure that they're grounded in reality. Remember that as you interact with people, as you speak the truth in love to people, that sometimes people coming to see it that way is a process. It may not happen overnight. So look for progress. Celebrate it. Praise Jesus because of it. And finally, I'd say, come in love or don't come at all. Come in love or don't come at all. That if you're going to be the type of person that says, I want to speak truth in love, come in love or don't, don't come at all. That means we're more interested in winning people than winning arguments. More interested in winning people than winning arguments. It's been well said that truth without love is brutality and love without truth is hypocrisy. That's true. says, from whom, picking up in Ephesians 4, 16, from whom the whole body is joined and held together. From Jesus, the whole body is joined and held together. Every joint which is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. And here's the truth that he's drawing out for us. And it's a pretty convicting truth because he says, we grow together or not at all. The yous after Ephesians chapter 3 turn to plurals for almost the whole rest of the book of Ephesians. So they could be y'alls, right, if we were in Texas. That you, you grow as we grow that you're built up as we are built up. Did you know that it's impossible to become all that God dreams that you would become alone? Christian maturity is impossible without Christian community. He designed you to link arms, to link hearts with each other, and that when you do that, you'll grow, you'll mature, you'll get to a point where you go one day, you look back and you say, I'm not the same person that I was. Not the same person. But here's the deal. We need each other. We need, we need all of you, from youngest to oldest, from richest to poorest, from the, most, the newest Christian to the most mature Christian. We need you to play the part that God has uniquely wired you to play here. You see, here's the deal. When you start viewing Christianity is not a spectator sport, but as something that you're invited to play a part in. It changes everything. It changes the way that you come in these doors. It changes the way that you leave them, and it changes the way that you walk into work on Monday morning. It changes the way that you parent your kids. It changes the way you operate in business when you realize that there's no such thing as a secular job, but that you have a holy and unique calling in this body and in this world. And my prayer is that as you use your gifting, God would allow you to walk in the fullness of joy that he designed you for. He wants your joy more than you do, 
and he's given you gifts. You walk in these doors with gifting. I pray that you will unwrap it and that you will use it to shine light on Jesus, to make much of him, and that you would walk in joy as you do. Let me pray for you. Thank you for listening to audio from South Fellowship, located in Littleton, Colorado. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. For more information about South Fellowship, visit us on the web at southfellowship.org.